I've had it with this dump. We got no food, we got no jobs. Our pet's heads are falling off. PCR testing, you've been hearing a lot about it in the news and on Twitter and social media. I know it sounds like crazy alphabet soup, something that your guidance counselor told you that you needed to do in order to go to college, right? It has a time and a place. It does have its flaws, but today I will explain why it is important, but also how it's being misused. Hospitalizations are down. All of the indicators that we've seen, CLI, PCR testing, percentage, as far as positive results, all those are going down. So why are we not back to normal? I'll tell you what I think is happening and how it ties into suddenly the governor's being really worried about the flu after six months of telling us, hey, this isn't like the flu. I'll explain all that coming up here on the Beyond the Fold podcast, which has spent way too much time away from your podcasting platform of choice. We are on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, many other third-party platforms. I'm sorry that has been so long since we last came to you. I took a little bit too long of a vacay, right? This was supposed to be a weekly podcast, and I haven't really gotten into that groove yet. Hopefully, we won't have to do this podcast too much longer, at least focusing on COVID, because that would mean that we're back to normal. And I, I hope that that day comes very soon. But in the meantime, I'm going to be a junkyard dog on this. I'm going to continue research, researching this mercilessly so that I can bring you the best information possible. I think the biggest problem we have right now is a lack of responsible, accurate, timely data that is being presented in an honest fashion. And that and all the great folks at rationalground.com is what I'm trying to bring you. If you haven't visited Rational Ground yet, and I assume most of you have probably heard of it, but go to rationalground.com. There's some tremendous research and data being provided over there. Jennifer Cabrera is doing the editing work and most of the main writing. Justin Hart, uh, Aaron Ginn. We have so many contributors. I could go on for hours talking about the great work that all these people are doing. But please visit and, uh, more importantly, spread the information. Spread the awareness about rationalground.com because I think that this is really important that we continue to get the message out there. And we're not trying to bring you fake news. We're not trying to lie to you. This isn't a conspiracy theory. All we're trying to focus on is data here. And the fact that you see what the media and, and some of the blue check marks on Twitter, you see what they're doing to Dr. Scott Atlas right now. They're trying to label him as this wacky conspiracy theorist, right? His thoughts on on having immune uh, or T-cell immunity. And, and, and immunity might not be the best word for some people, but the fact is T-cell resistance or T-cell immunity, however you want to call it, does appear to have a lot to do with the spread or lack of spread of COVID-19. But the media doesn't want you believing that, and I'll tell you why. And this ties into some stuff that I'm going to talk about later on in the show. If they acknowledge that there is T-cell resistance, or if they acknowledge seasonality of the virus, or if they acknowledge it herd immunity, which is another topic that we've talked about that the media is trying to label Dr. Atlas as a conspiracy theorist for even suggesting, that means they lose control. Because their control 
over this virus right now is all based on a lie. It's based on the false premise that they can control it by simply you subscribing to lockdowns, wearing masks, taking your vaccines, all of those good things, the mitigation, right? And we've seen all across the world, the mitigation has not stopped India from going from about 5,000 new cases a day to climbing consistently the past two months to now about 100,000 cases a day. Now, Indiana ha- or India has a huge population. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people living in India, okay? So they're only now really tapping into the extent of the population there. But still 100,000 people a day. That's, that's a lot, okay? That's a lot of cases. And they're about, if you go to COVID-19-projections.com, uh, they have India an estimated about 5% infection prevalence, meaning but five out of 100 people have had the virus, okay? But we're seeing with India, who had strict lockdowns and had the mask mandates, it has not stopped the mitigation. We have seen the strict mask wearing in Philippines did not stop it. The strict wearing in Japan has not stopped cases. Now, uh, Japan is another great example. Relative to the population, Japan has not been hit very hard, even with the rise in cases that they finally had. And the best news of all is that Japan has very few deaths so far to go with those cases. So it doesn't hit everybody the same way. And we're not saying that it does. And that could be, I know, shocking, right? This comes back to possible T-cell immunity. There could be more resistance in Japan to this virus, which means people have smaller viral loads. They don't get sick as easily. They don't go to the hospital as often. And they don't die as frequently. That's all part of it, right? The T-cell immunity, herd immunity, T-cell resistance, if you want to call it that, herd immunity, these things matter. Seasonality. These are all issues that are clearly playing a role in this virus that the media doesn't want you to know about because they're complicit with this uh, mainstream attempt to gain control by governors and and through the the, uh, name of public health. Okay, they're trying to get indefinite powers through public health. And that's an issue that we'll talk about later. But all of the indicators are going down, and we got to get the word out on this. And PCR is is huge. It's complicit in what's going on right now. Because the test, test, test mantra is how they keep the crisis alive. If they keep testing, if they keep finding positive results... Then they can come back to you, the people, and they can scare the gajeebers out of you. Oh, my gosh, Karen, we can't go out today. Honey, yeah, we, we, we can't leave our house. This is too scary. I know, Karen, we'll stay in, okay? This is a terrifying case-demic that we have going on here. We're suddenly, we're worried about a virus where never in our history have we worried so much about people getting a virus but not getting sick. And most people aren't getting sick. Look at all the cases around college campuses in this country. Epidemiologist Andrew Boston is keeping track of some of the campuses that are keeping tabs on the number of positive cases that they have reported on their campuses and also the ones that are keeping track of hospitalizations that they are aware of. At one point, he found up to 30, I think it was 35, 36,000 cases without a single hospitalization in the 20, 30, 40 
campuses that he was tracking. Now, that may change. Look, there are probably going to be a few students here and there that get ill. This is still a virus, right? Even if it's not as bad as it's being made out to be, even if it's attenuating, even if it's falling off in its veracity, it's still a virus, okay? People are still going to get sick. Nobody is denying that. The virus is real. This may be a hoax, but it's not that the virus is a hoax. It's a real virus. It is a threat to some people. But the testing mantra, is there a way to keep a crisis alive? And it's not being kept alive in any other way because hospitalizations have fallen now under 30,000. And that still seems like a lot. And it's not a small number, but it works out to about nine people per 100,000. Now, if you need some context on that, this flu season that we just had, 2019 slash 2020, was really relatively a, a light flu season. And part of that was probably because the virus was already here. And it seems to be inhibiting spread of, of the flu. We're see, we saw that, actually, in the Southern Hemisphere, where flu season was almost non-existent in every single country in the Southern Hemisphere. The summer, it, our summer, is usually their winter. Well, it's not usually. It is their winter. But that's usually when their flu season is. And they had a really light one. And some people actually think that is because something to do with a predominant strain, COVID-19, going around and is not allowing the flu to transmit. We don't know the exact reasons for why the flu took a dive, but that is clearly playing a role. Now, the experts will tell you that's because of, flu, that's because of our mitigation, right? Because we, we wore masks, we social distance, we had lockdowns. That's why the flu didn't come around. It's, it's, a, it's funny how... This is a magical virus that the mitigation efforts don't stop this virus, but they stop the flu. And that we know that is not true, by the way. Who, who, the World Health Organization, said in 2006 that no matter how hard they tried, no matter how long they studied, they have not been able to find any example of lockdowns actually stopping the spread of the flu. And the flu virus, by the way, the particles are about 0.1 microns, which is the same size as COVID-19. So we're not talking about flu. We're not talking about virus particles that are any different in size. So the mask should not transmit or stop transmission in any real way different than what we already know for the virus. But these mitigation efforts, supposedly, if you listen to the experts, have stopped the flu dead in its tracks in the southern hemisphere this year. I don't believe that it was anything to do with mitigation. I do believe there is something about a predominant virus. I think T-cell immunity might be playing a role. For that reason, I don't think the flu is going to be very strong. But that's not what they want you to think. Hospitalizations, even though it's down to about 9 per 100,000, even during this past flu season that was lightly relative, relatively light, during the peak, it was probably about 30 hospitalizations per 100,000 people. Probably three times as much as it is right now for COVID-19. They don't want you to know this, okay? It's going down. So that brings us back to they have to keep this alive since the indicators, the hospitalizations and all that, are going down, way down. We are now at a level of percent of total PCR tests percent of emergency vic, uh, visits that have showed COVID-like illness or CLI and hospitalizations are all now the lowest point they've been in the United States since March. 
Okay, this virus has gotten down. It's attenuated. It is leaving. I'm not saying it's gone for good. I, I don't know. I could not make that prediction accurately. I'm not going to try. But it is going away right now in this country. So if you are a government official trying to keep emergency powers, trying to keep control, the way you do it is test, test, test. PCR testing is keeping this crisis alive through a case-demic, a test-demic. And the reason why this is effective is this PCR test, polymerase chain reaction, okay? PCR. Normally, it is used to detect DNA strands. In this particular case, the COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 virus is based on the cells replicating which RNA instead of DNA. So what this test is meant to do, and I'm not an expert here, so when I explain this, I, I think I can give you an accurate representation, but I'm not an expert, so maybe the technical aspects, maybe I'm missing a few key points here, but I do believe this accurately explains what is happening during the testing. So they replicate these RNA cells, and they heat them up, and then they get these strands to come apart and convert them to DNA strands, and then they cool down and they look for the strands and they're able to replicate DNA strands to try to identify, identify the virus, okay? And what they do is in order to find it, because they have to magnify, because these, so, these DNA strands of these tiny cells are so small, they have to amplify them. They have to make them bigger in order to see. So after they convert the RNA to the DNA and they heat up the strands, they pull them apart, take a look at them, they amplify them. If they can't find it, they have to do it again. With each amplification cycle, the cycle you hear a lot about CT or cycle threshold, with each cycle, they double, okay? So, like, we have an exponential, uh, an exponential effect with each cycle that they go in order to try to find it. It doubles, and in, 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 we're talking exponential growth here. And so, finally, with each additional cycle, they amplify it. X number of times. And so in order to find this virus, sometimes it takes 30, 32, 35, 38, up to 40 cycles. Generally, the standard here in the United States, it depends on the lab. There's no set standard in the U.S. But the general standard for most labs in the United States is 40 cycles. That means as long as they find the virus within 40 cycles then it is considered a positive test. If after 40 cycles, they still can't find the virus, then it is a negative test, no matter what, okay? So what's happening here is that most experts will tell you that anything over 30, 32, maybe 33 or 34 cycles, you're not finding an active infection. You're not finding a virus that is actually making the person sick, you're not finding a virus that has the ability to infect another person. And so we have found all of these positive tests with 32 cycles, 34, 36, 38, 40 cycles that are not actually active infections. And the disclaimers on most of the lab tests tell us this. They acknowledge that we are not really finding active infections at that amount. They do not tell us for sure it's an active infection if you have a positive result and that you should actually combine, you know, symptoms and signs of the disease itself 
with making a diagnosis on the person. And that is the problem right there. There was a study that just came out or a report that just came out the other day that Mayo Lab doing the public health work in Minnesota over the last three months, less than 50% of all tests, PCR tests, had a positive result under 30 cycles. There are some reports from scientists that say the ideal number of cycles to find an active infection is actually only 24 or 25. And most will tell you, you can't find an active infection over 30 to 32 or 33. Some have said 34. But over half in Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic Lab have been over 30 cycles. So that means over half are not actually infectious or had an active infection at the time of the test. That, folks, is why we need change. We need to rely less on oversensitive tests that are telling us nothing about who has an actual, actual a- active infection. And then there's, a, there's the worst part of this. By the time the test is done, by the time they get the results back to the person, by the time it's reported publicly, most of those people that do have an active infection are probably past their five to seven day period where they're infectious. So they're no longer infectious, even if they were at the time of the collection. So we're really only hearing, I would say, about 3 to 5% of, of these positive results that are actually still infectious by the time they're reported in public. My opinion, and it's not worth much, I'm not an expert, but if I had my way, based on what I know of the te- testing strategy and based on what I've researched, I would say let's first test people with an antigen rapid test, okay? And I know people are asking now, well, what's the difference between antigen and PCR? Antigen is a different type of test. It's a rapid collection. You can collect it by, by nasal or blood or, or now saliva. Uh, they're looking to do a saliva test as well. That's kind of being popularized because of how quickly they can collect. But antigen doesn't look at the RNA. It doesn't amplify for, for the RNA. They don't have to amplify it as much. It's a different type of lab work where they're looking basically for any type of proteins on the outer part of the cell. Does the, the protein of the virus exist on, outside the cell? That's what they're looking for. So they don't dig as deep and they don't have to amplify as much. It's not as accurate as a PCR as far as pi- finding the virus. And it's also a little less accurate in terms of it has more false negatives than PCR tests do. But it's quicker and that's why it's gaining favor. But again, the powers that be don't care about the accuracy. <laughs> they want to test, test, test as many people as they can Antigens are very effective for that because they can test a a greater number of people in a short amount of time. And it takes less time on the back end to come up with the result. If I had my way, though, I would say do temperature screenings first of people that are showing any kind of symptoms. Do a temperature screen. Actually, do a mass temp screening of any employees, athletes, etc. that you can test in mass. If you're showing the fever over 100 then go ahead and test. You do an antigen test and you quickly find out, hey, are you positive or not? If you are positive, showing up in the antigen, then we do a full collection sample. We do the PCR test. And if you have a confirmed antigen result and a confirmed PCR result on top of your symptoms, well, guess what? (laughs) You probably have the virus and you probably have the disease. So we should quarantine you 
and we should set you aside and make sure other people are not getting sick. That is what I want to do. But these people that want to do test, 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 they don't care about the accuracy. They don't care that we're finding all these false positives, which, by the way, two, you know, something like 2.5% are false positives right off the top, meaning they didn't even have the virus. But then all these other mundane positives but aren't actually you know, infected with the disease itself. When you add all of that in, we really have a case demic here. And that is absolutely exacerbated. It's codified by, by 36,000 hospitalizations on college campuses where we didn't find a single hospitalization. And, and there might be a few hidden that we didn't know about. But even if there's 10 people that got hospitalized out of 36,000, do the math on that. This is a case demic, but the people don't care. They just want to keep testing because we'll find the results and the results will make people afraid. And then more fear will lead to more control. And that's what these governors and other public health official, officials are banking on right now. And everybody would want to say, well, the experts are experts. We should listen to them, right? Wrong. Even the experts are not infallible. Let's set aside the fact that experts are wrong, too, by the way. There's a reason, and I've mentioned this before on the show and on Twitter, there's a reason that peer review exists, because even experts make mistakes. And we've seen it so many times already with the myocarditis studies. You know, does, does COVID-19 lead to heart issues? Well, we've seen so many studies that are not peer-reviewed and have already been retracted or debunked by other experts because they made math errors, they didn't have control groups. It's really disgusting the state of science right now because if you say something that goes against the established narrative, you're labeled a conspiracy theorist and, you know, well, science, you can't speak out against it. But yet you can continue to churn out these really bad studies that don't have peer review, that don't have any sort of control groups, that are not science whatsoever, or they're junk science if they are. It's, it's, it's scary the level of hypocrisy we have right now. So the public health experts are not always right. But even when they are, even if they are right or not, even if they are credible, many of them have skin in the game. And that is not a conspiracy theory. That's undeniable. Some of these people are being paid because they're on boards of Big Pharma, they're consultants to testing companies or to Big Pharma. You know, some of these people get a regular paycheck to be skeptics on Twitter and shout people down that don't agree. That's their job. That is happening. It doesn't mean every single person that is speaking out for science is getting a paycheck, but a lot of them are. And so we're fighting against that as well. And that's part of the reason, like, I, I don't know what the excuse of the media it is. Like, maybe some of them are in the pockets, too, of Big Pharma. I don't know. They're sometimes just lazy and bad reporter, reporters, and other times maybe they have an agenda, too. But we have to fight against this. And they want to keep the control. The governors do, especially. And to do that, they have to continue to push the narrative that it is mitigation and not natural factors. Virus is going to virus. The T-cell immunity, the seasonality, the herd immunity, these things are real. But they don't want you to think that. If that science makes its way around the country and people start believing in that, they lose control. The mask mandates go out the window. Because remember, up until March or April, every expert in the world was saying masks do not stop the virus. And they don't. 
That's that's a fact. I mean, you can look this up. Go to rationalground.com and look for the mask interactive tool, and you can see the correlation between mask wearing, according to the New York Times study, and the actual number of cases per, I believe, it was 100,000. Okay, you can you can look at the correlation by state. There's almost none that exists. And I know absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. Correlation does not equal causation. But when you find a correlation coefficient that's under one, an R2, actually I should say an R, R, uh, R times two that is under one, there's very little relationship there. You should see some relationship, even if it's 0.1, 0.2, something along those lines. You should see some sort of relationship, and there is none. Because all the experts were right back in March and April that masks were never effective in preventing virus spread. Now, masks might slow it down just a little bit, okay? Let's, let's, let's play devil's advocate here. Let's say that masks and lockdowns do slow the spread. They're not really working because if they're slowing it, it's still going to eventually continue to spread and you're still eventually going to be at risk of getting it. So if it's not stopping it, then it's really not working because slowing is not stopping. Now, if you believe in seasonality and you believe in herd immunity, then on a micro level, you could say, well, if we slow it down long enough until it eventually goes away, then maybe a few people will avoid getting it and maybe as not as many will get it. Okay, but you have to admit seasonality and herd immunity existing for that theory to actually hold water. And they don't want to admit that. So if you're not stopping it, then you're really not slowing it down either. Or you are slowing it down, but it's not really helping. So they have to rely on masks and lockdowns working so that they can take credit and keep control. Because here's what I go back to. Remember when I said the flu has been stopped dead in its tracks in the Southern Hemisphere so far this summer, right? It disappeared pretty much. To give you uh, an idea, like who has said that in most flu seasons in the Southern Hemisphere, every country is in the range of 10 to 30% positive tests for flu each year. This year, not a single country was over 10%. So flu disappeared for the most part in the Southern Hemisphere. In order for them to take credit for this, they have to, they want you to take your flu shots, they want you to wear your masks, and they want you to social distance and obey their stay-at-home orders. Because what they're hoping, and what they're counting on, is the science is accurate on this. Because we saw a light flu season in the southern hemisphere, we're likely to see a light flu season coming up in the northern hemisphere. It often follows the trend of what happens in the south, and because of the virus spreading the way it is, it's believed by scientists that the Southern Hemisphere trend of the flu disappearing is going to happen here this flu season, meaning there won't be a lot of flu cases in the Northern Hemisphere to find. And the ones that do get the flu, most of the vulnerable, vulnerable people, the most vulnerable, have already died from COVID-19. We're seeing this trend as well. The Places in the world that have had lighter flu seasons the last two years tend to have fewer deaths occurring from COVID-19. That's because the, the older and the unhealthier are the most vulnerable to die from this disease.
but the ones that already died from previous flu seasons, those places are going to be hit a little less hard than other countries or other areas might be hit. So the experts, the governors and all their public health officials, they're banking on this being a light flu season. They see the trends. They know that CLI is down. They know the hospitalizations are down. They're banking right now on COVID-19 going away, just like we're telling you it is. They're banking on this. But if they keep getting people to buy in to the mask and the social distancing and all else, all the other mitigation strategies, they can look like heroes. They can say, we saved you all. You listened to us. We were able to control you. We were able to shut down businesses and stop the spread of a twindemic. And that is the word used by Governor Newsom out in California. The twindemic that we have to worry about coming up this winter. COVID-19 and the flu at the same time. It's funny. We have been saying for six months this is a lot like the flu. All of the experts were saying this is nothing like the flu. And yet now the governors are saying we have a twindemic implying they're like they're very similar to each other we have to stop COVID-19 and the flu and they want to take credit because if both go away this winter if we have a light flu season like I'm predicting and many experts have already predicted and if we have COVID-19 that does not come back in some form as a second wave well guess what then the governors are going to say we prevented it it's just funny how after six months all the time we were saying this is like the flu well, they were saying, no, it's nothing like the flu. But now they're saying this is like the flu. We want to can keep these mitigation measures and control you during flu season because we have to stop the flu. They're making that pivot now. They're trying to exert these emergency orders. They're trying to extend them as long as possible by conflating COVID-19 with the flu and making a seamless transition right into winter. I'm here to tell you, watch it. I've already posted this on Twitter. There are at least a couple dozen governors that have already been talking about the flu for the last several weeks. It's happening. They are trying to stretch this crisis out as long as they can, and that can only be done with testing. And it doesn't even actually have to continue because, like I said, well, even if the testing goes away and the cases go away, they're just going to claim victory because, guess what? Masks worked. Testing worked. Social distancing worked. We stopped not one, but two viruses from spreading this winter. That's the control that they're aiming for. Don't let it happen. Be vigilant. Spread the word. We need to keep calling these people out because they don't have an honest bone in their body, most of them, and I don't trust them as far as they can throw them. We can keep hammering home the data, the truth, the facts. And that's what we will do because that's the only way that we can get out of this and get back to normal. We need to get back to normal. Lockdowns are dangerous. It's not just about money, although we are getting absolutely obliterated economically. But teen suicide, teen suicide in general is way up. It's depressing seeing all these stories about teens taking their lives right now. Teen suicide is a big problem. Drug overdoses, big problem. Lack of heart and, and cancer screenings, big problem. People are dying because of the lockdowns. This is undeniable. It will be seen with data a couple years from now, but we can't wait that long. We don't have the luxury of letting people come around two years from now. 
We need to make sure people are waking up and seeing the data now. So help me spread the word. Rationalground.com is a good place to start. Please send people there. Start following the Rational Ground movement. Follow me at KYLAM8. Follow the podcast Beyond the Fold on your podcasting platform of, of choice. iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, etc. We hope to see you again next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Beyond the Fold. Have a great week.